0: Welcome to Tech Talks, the technology podcast with David Savage and Jack Pierce, publishing on Mondays and Thursdays. This is a show packed full of interviews and debate with technology leaders for the love of tech. On today's show, we're talking to Dr. Hannah Allen, an Associate Medical Director at Babylon Health. Before that, hello
1: Jack. Afternoon, Dave. How
0: are you? Yeah, I'm good. Did you see that scientists have picked up radio signals from the depths of space? I did. For only the second time in human history.
1: Did really, really excite. As is the bloke from Big 182, I imagine he's probably giddy with excitement right now. Why would he be giddy with Tom himself? DeLong was credited last year or the year before last with the most research outside of NASA into extraterrestrial behavior. Really? Yeah.
0: That I wouldn't have ever imagined.
1: Hello there, the Angel from my... That's just a Blink 182 song.
0: That's not the kind of the Blink 182 song I would have necessarily immediately thought of.
1: What's my age again you'd have gone with? No,
0: all the small things.
1: Okay, yeah, fair enough, fair anyway. enough.
0: Uh, <laughs> I love the fact that um, whilst obviously most people think that, that uh, fast radio bursts or FRBs probably <laughs> emit from things like black holes. There is like one leading scientist, and it's not just like some idiot, it's a guy from the Harvard S- Smithsonian.
1: So proper. Oh,
0: yeah, yeah, uh, Professor uh, A.V. Loeb. He's like, well, no, it, it could be alien life. Well,
1: so, I, mean, I think about this all the time, and of course, there's going to be uh, countless different variations of life out there.
0: Well, they reckon that they could well find um, kind of organic matter like uh, bacteria, et cetera, yeah. fossilized in fo- like fossilised
1: form or yeah, whatever, in, on Mars. That. Talk about, like, oh, on Mars, Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 no, yeah, like, yeah, my yeah, point yeah.
0: being like, because Mars had a very similar... Um, atmosphere you know up to a point like Earth and then its core slowed down it became the the atmosphere dissipated from the surface and that's why you have like you can see there used to be flowing water on Mars um, but not anymore Um, so at some point in the past it may well have supported very early life now if Mars can be proven... If that if that is proven to be the case... And that ain't far away. Exactly. Then you've got to kind of say, all right, somewhere out there, of course there's other life. Absolutely. But it's probably just at such a distance that we're not going to know about it's it. It's not
1: going to be in the Milky Way. I, don't, I think well, we no, could...
0: Well, it could be. Like, well, you could
1: be. I but think, yeah.
0: given there are more galaxies out there than we can see stars in the sky...
1: Exactly. Who are we... I mean, for me, and I don't... any. If you haven't seen the film Arrival yet, spoiler alert, warning... But for me, you see, I leave that that break in there on purpose. Uh, for me, it is a. By the way, I might edit that, edit that out, so it just appear like no break. Someone who doesn't care. Yeah. Anyway, I, carry on. And <laughs> for me, it, it looks like it's going to happen. And if it if if it's going to happen, that they're going to come to us way before we get to that. Is my like an arrival? They come to unite humanity.
0: Well, I don't know. At the same time, um, I, I, I'm sure that we are. S- you know how in the in the lifespan of the universe there's or the galaxy there's only a certain period of time where stars can exist apparently i I remember watching wonders of the of the universe with professor brian cox and turning it off and being a gibbering wreck but um i think that we're at the beginning of the age of stars which kind of suggests that maybe we're actually one of the one of the early forerunners. uh and maybe it's that there will be other life forms that come along but actually we're that one that is advanced, but we haven't quite got there yet. Here's like,
1: another little in n- context. Another little teaser for you. <laughs> if time travel can exist, it's already happened.
0: On that note, we <laughs> should probably get onto today's <laughs> yeah, interview. Yeah, maybe, maybe. <laughs> uh, look, this is an interview with Dr. Hannah Allen. Uh, it's a much more serious conversation than the one we've just had. Uh, it's talking all about how Babylon are making uh, access to, to healthcare affordable um, and freely readily available for people in all different corners of the world Um, I'd always assumed that it was to be honest predominantly UK but as you'll learn as this interview goes on that's very much
1: not the case I know they're partnered with one of Arsenal's sponsors Rwanda? yep
0: they sponsor Arsenal?
1: Visit Rwanda on the left, on the left shoulder sleeve. I hadn't noticed.
0: Um, <laughs> better than like Mike's tyres or whatever it is. <laughs> Next to tyres. Anyway, <in> tires. <laughs> anyway uh, but here is Dr. Hannah Allen. Uh, we hope you enjoy the interview. Stick with it. We're going to have some comment afterwards. And then in the second part of the show later on, myself and Jack have a couple of articles to share with you. So we are talking with Dr. Hannah Allen from Babylon Health. Good morning. Morning. Your first day back of the New Year. So. Yes.
2: Happy New Year. <laughs> Thanks for making time. <laughs> thank you for having me. How was your break? It was lovely. Thank you. Really yep. nice. Lots of family time. It was great.
0: But now back to it. And back um, to it. What is your role? What are you returning to here?
2: So Well, so I'm um, one of the Associate Medical Directors mm-hmm. at Babylon. I've been at Babylon for a, a pretty long time now, so um, coming up to three years. Um, I've worked in all different kind of spheres of the company. Um, and um, with lots and lots of different people here. So I've seen us go through a massive period of growth from around sort of 50, 60 people mm-hmm. when I first joined, up to around a thousand now. So um, yeah, so we've seen a huge period of growth and um, loads of amazing um, sort of milestones that we've been through um, across kind of launching in our operations in Rwanda, in Canada. Um, we've had the symptom checker launch. Um, we've had the health check launch more recently. Um, and, and various different amazing um, sort of technology that we've seen launch and now I'm working with the sort of operational side of things yeah. um, to uh, ensure that the quality um, is is really top-notch.
0: And before you joined Babylon you hadn't worked in a technology company previously right? You're a full-time no. doctor.
2: Yeah exactly yeah so I've been a GP now for six years um, worked in the NHS um, and I still work in the NHS. Um, my My sort of reasoning for for the move and for looking outside of of purely NHS work was because I was looking to try and innovate in the women's health um, sector, particularly around looking after my antenatal and postnatal patients. Um, As a clinician, you tend to um attract and relate to um, a lot of patients that are similar in profile to yourself so i was finding i'm getting a lot of younger women around contraception around pregnancy around postnatal and i felt that we were failing them on on many levels around providing that extra support to um, to women in particularly of kind of childbearing age um, and so i was looking it's an interesting at... point
0: because a lot of tech is fairly homogenous Regardless of whether you're male or female, you kind of look at something like Fitbit or the health trackers.
2: Yeah, yeah, I think that you know, from from doing quite a bit of research into this sector, I think that a lot of technology is created by men for men, mm-hmm. um, and I think that often missing that diversity in the kind of conceptual phase and then the, in the creation of that technology. Um, it, often misses um being able to actually provide a really um amazing technology for women as well um you know you look at things like for example, the um, the recent breast pump released by Elvie, which was hands-free and silent. Mm. Um, you know, if you look at actually the evolution of the breast pump, it hasn't evolved at all since the nineteen fifties when you know we first started using breast pumps. And things like the contraceptive pill has been exactly the same um, constituents of the contraceptive pill since it first ever came to market. So
0: I suppose it's unsurprising as well when you've got an industry that is so heavily dominated by men that those innovations are less likely to have made it to market until now
2: exactly absolutely and i think there's so um there's there's much far fewer kind of interest um in the kind of femtech arena Mm -hmm. um and you know there are far fewer investors who are looking at investing in in women's health that's starting to increase and there's a lot more kind of attention um being put onto women's health but i think generally speaking it hasn't really evolved at all because there's less there's less enthusiasm about it there's less excitement about it there's fewer investors and fewer kind of c-level executive positions
0: as a leading business or sorry as a leading startup in the health tech sector do you get an opportunity to look at some of those businesses and say we'd love to partner with you or is that something that's a bit of a pipe dreamer yeah
2: no absolutely so um you know we're in a really lucky position whereby we've got a lot of firstly we've got a lot of diversity within babylon so we've got a lot of women in um brilliant positions you know um ali's really supportive of um of of, you know a lot of diversity within the workforce as well um and there's a lot of women and men who are very passionate about this within the company as well and we're looking at really um, enabling that diversity and reflecting that within our products and our services as well, absolutely.
0: You mentioned that you are working in Africa. I suppose most people when they think of Babylon Health, they'll, they'll have read about Babylon in the news and yeah. it's very centric around kind of triage and Yeah. And this which makes sense because you know the British papers are likely to report on that and its, it's relationship with the NHS. Yeah. Um, what, what is the company doing in those emerging markets?
2: Um, I mean, we're doing some incredible work. And I think that's really important that you say there's been a real focus on the UK side of the company. But actually, when you look at the figures, you know, we've got 2.7 million users worldwide now. Um, Our major patient base is in Rwanda. So we launched in Rwanda about a year and a half ago. And we saw 40% of the adult population sign up. So a phenomenal uptake, absolutely massive.
0: I suppose geographically... People don't have the same access to medicine there somehow. So exactly. it, there's less barriers exactly. for an organisation to come in and provide those services.
2: Exactly. So when we launched, there were around 11, 12 million people in Rwanda. Right. They only had around 800 doctors. Wow. So it's you know it's, we knew from just looking at that and, and how vast the country was and the, the um, geographical layout of the patients, there's no way that those patients can access the healthcare mm. that they need when they need it. Um, and we went back quite recently, and we spoke to um, some of the patients who've been using um, Babel out there. Um, and one one mum was actually it really stood out for me. She was she was crying, saying that it made such an impact on her life because she didn't have to walk with her five year old for six hours to access the healthcare clinic that she had to go to once a month with him to get his medication and then walk all the way back again to her village. And she said it's made such an impact from an accessibility point of view um, that it's really been kind of life-changing for them. And that, you know, as a clinician, Mm -hmm. that's why I get involved um, in these kind of ventures, because that's what I'm passionate about is, um, you know, our, our mission just speaks for itself in putting affordable, accessible healthcare in the hands of every person on the planet. It's just, you know, everybody can relate to that and want that to succeed.
0: I suppose the interesting point would be, how does tech help you treat those patients? Because not wanting to, to slight you in any way, but yeah. as a GP in the UK, yeah. you're not going to have had exposure to those sorts of cases so often. So. Yeah there's probably some inherent bias towards looking at The kind of the case, the user cases that you'd have in the UK of someone walking into your surgery in West London versus someone who's obviously in rural Rwanda is going to be very different.
2: Absolutely. And so that's why we have um, operations based locally. So we have local doctors and local nurses who are triaging those calls and speaking to those patients Mm. as well. But it's also, I think it's really important to touch upon the impact that technology can have as opposed to a human in these kind of cases. So in the UK, we have, generally speaking, we have a very good sort of basic level of education that patients will leave hospital with, say, a newborn baby. Mm. In lots of places in Africa, for instance, they can still practice quite um, antiquated ways of treating very simple conditions that can very quickly escalate to a life-threatening condition, such as, you know, a newborn baby with an umbilical stump. Um, You know, traditional kind of um, management of that was to rub, you know, various different Sort of homeopathic remedies on, such as cow dung, for instance, and then patients can develop intra-abdominal sepsis and die right. from that quite easily. So, you know that you think actually the impact of having a very basic educational module for those types of patients and where technology can enable access to educational elements is really really powerful compared to, say, the the healthcare services and and um, Sector that we see in the UK or the Western world.
0: What's informing your growth in that region then? Is it is it a case that you see these cases, you begin to look at the data sets and go, oh, hang on a minute, this is how the this is how the technology is being used, rather than going in and saying, Oh, this is what we're going to provide?
2: No, I mean I think I think in the big scheme of things, you know, we we want to be able to provide this for everybody everywhere. Right. But that is a big goal. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's a well, big there's a lot of people. Exactly, it's a big mission. So you've got to be able to prioritize and start from somewhere. So it tends to be from, you know, us speaking via word of mouth to certain people. So, you know, I know that Rwanda were very interested in working with us quite early on um, at a very high level. So, um, it tends to be kind of word of mouth and meeting people who then say, "Oh, you know, these these people have say a project in this area. It'd be great to talk about about mm. collaborating on that." For instance, um in an ideal world we would absolutely be looking to kind of roll out everywhere so that everybody had access and democratizing healthcare on that level but you kind of have to prioritize and go one step at a time
0: now people tend to be a little bit nervous around data being readily available and uh, their their medical information yeah um and it wasn't related to healthcare per se, but there was an article by John Harrison, Guardian, this morning talking about we need decentralized data sets yeah. because we're all effectively going to be digital serfs to Google and Amazon. And I, I understand those concerns, mm. but I suppose as a medical technology business, you rely mm. on big data sets mm. and natural language learning to be able to make really effective diagnosis and for the technology to work. Yeah. So, how do you kind of, how do you? Manage that that slight tightrope between we need all of this data, but using it responsibly in a way that yeah. people can kind of buy into.
2: Yeah, I think I think it's at the forefront of everybody um, engaging with technology, and rightly so. Mm. I think from a patient perspective and from a clinical perspective, we need to be using people's data ethically and responsibly. Um, full stop. You know, every single company needs to be thinking about their um, social responsibility and their their their. Um, data use and how they're using it um, ethically and responsibly. Um, I think from a patient perspective, we also need to be thinking about how are we making decisions that are not only best for us, but also best for society as well. Mm -hmm. So um, by releasing certain points of our data um, for machine learning usages, we might be benefiting other people in society as well. And I think that's a really important decision that we need to make. But as a company, but you are a business, absolutely. But as a, and as a company, we we need to be respecting people's rights to data. Mm-hmm. And your data belongs to you. So just as much as my data points on my heart health or my mental health, you know, all of that data belongs to me and is my own personal um, reflection of how well I am. So you know, we need to own that as a, as a patient um, and we need to respect that as a, as a clinician and as a company as well. Um, you know, I think there are many ways of using this for, for the best way for society, but we need to be really respectful and we need to work with um, the regulators, with patient bodies, with, um, you know, there are other huge big sort of third-party organisations that have large data sets. So if there are paucities in the data, there are ways of being able to, um you know reliably make decisions that don't necessarily require um, hard data for that um, so there are ways of working around that that don't necessarily mean releasing you know data sets
0: now, there's a lot made of AI coming in disrupting technologies displacing jobs yeah and you're a GP a doctor working yeah. for a AI business yeah. that I suppose mm-hmm. some people might say well you know it could displace frontline medicine yeah yeah How do you feel about that relationship? Because doctors don't get it right all of the time. AI can certainly help. I I could see it being a case that if you come up with a case that just is on the the kind of extremes of of normal medicine, that access to that level of data would be really helpful.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I think all industry experts say that AI doesn't replace jobs. It just creates new roles. And yeah, you may need to hone your skills in certain areas or change slightly, adapt your role slightly, but actually it will inevitably create more roles than, than it will take away. Hmm. Um, and I think as a clinician, I, I'm really happy with that. I'm uh, Anything that will benefit my patients, you know, better and society better as we move forward technology is coming in we know that we need to embrace it and work together in the best way so that it's used safely effectively and regulated in the best way possible Mm. so that patients can benefit from that to to the best possible way Um, and you know I think that there are certain areas that artificial intelligence will function so much better than humans can so with data crunching with pattern recognition Mm. you know we know that As a doctor, I will sometimes, you know, look into my textbooks or looking to various different kind of online resources in order to look for um, conditions or um, clusters of of symptoms that I may not be able to recognise because I might have not seen that condition for many years. But actually artificial intelligence will be able to process that far quicker than I would be able to um, and would be able to then um, augment um, my management of that patient, which is I think the key word in this is not replacing, it's Mm. augmenting. And as long as we're all on the same page with regards to that and embracing technology in order to benefit patients and clinicians, I think we can absolutely augment that experience and make it so much better for both parties.
0: Just a a last final question then. You mentioned there that you're a doctor. Yeah. You spend four days a week at Babylon. Yeah. You were speaking at World Mobile Congress as a technology expert. Do you think you'll always see yourself as a doctor? or don't you sometimes find yourself referring to yourself as a technologist
2: no i i think ultimately you know i've spent so long in the health healthcare sector i've been a doctor now for 11 years i think my my i love medicine and i love speaking with patients and interacting with patients i'll always be a doctor first and foremost Mm. um but i just am a doctor with a kind of creative flair um and i'm just lucky to be able to embrace that in this sector well look thank you very much for
0: your time today thank you
2: very much thanks I had no idea
0: that Babylon did stuff outside of the UK. I, I mean, that might be monumentally stupid of me.
1: I mean, I, I'm the same. Or ignorant. Right? I mean, no, but we've we've known of Babylon for a while now. Well, and, yeah, we
0: had we had Ali Parsa yeah. on the show. You know, uh, so Dr. Hannah Allen. I don't know whether we should call her Dr.
1: Hannah, Dr. Allen, Hannah. So from here on out, I'm going to call her Dr. Hannah. Dr. And Hannah. I know that might be uh, Hannah, Dr. Allen. Fuck, see if you're listening. <laughs> sorry for any offence. I just think Dr. <laughs> Hannah feels better? She's a a real doctor. She's not like
0: Ross on Friends, so let's call her Dr. Hannah. Or Dr. Fox. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Um, But, like, she joined the business three years ago, right? Yeah. When it was 50 or 60 people. Yeah. I think we interviewed Ali, who's the CEO and founder, um, a few months before that. And today... They're ten thousand people. So you yeah. know, when we when we last had um, Babylon Health on the podcast, they were a wildly different business to the one that, that they are today.
1: What are you getting at there, Dave? Like I'm giving tech myself tech talks. Help no, no. them <laughs> with their progression and upscale.
0: Absolutely not. <laughs> I'm giving myself an excuse for having yeah. been ignorant of the fact that they are now operating in the likes of Rwanda.
1: I mean, that was that was my first point. I was going to say it does seem as though when Dr. Hannah joined, she really enabled their like, rapid growth or helped enable that growth. Part, part of the team yeah, that is yeah, obviously... Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, look, if you see an advert for Babylon Health around London City Centre at the moment on a billboard, on one of those BT phone stands, that's Dr. Hannah, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. The, the, blonde, uh, the blonde lady that, yeah. that appears on the phone screen to give you advice, that is actually her. So they, yeah. they're using actual doctors, their actual staff in their advertising. Um, we often talk about purpose.
1: Absolutely, yeah.
0: Right. Why join a tech company when you've trained to be a doctor? We've had Lydia uh, from Forward Health where she said, I wanted to try and improve the NHS, and I thought that Forward Health would be a great way of doing that. From the the outside, yeah. Uh, And for Hannah, Dr. Hannah rather, that purpose... (laughs) We're going to get ourselves in. in Sorry, Dr.
1: Hannah.
0: Uh, she talks about the fact that she wanted to innovate and help with women's tech, tech yeah. femtech, women's health. Yeah, um, I think it's really interesting that she said a lot of younger women were coming to see her and she felt that the NHS was failing those women
1: around the natal issues wasn't it um at childbearing age and i really i, I think it was a very refreshingly honest point that that uh, dr Hannah alluded to there where she sort of and this isn't verbatim but she sort of mentions that you gravitate toward patients similar to yourself and she could see these these ladies around childbearing age you know just not getting the support that they yeah. needed and that led her to think well there's a lot of tech for good out there you know we're finally seeing some uh, a new version of the breast pump
0: um, yeah, she makes the point that it well, hasn't been updated since the 1950s. It's crazy, that. And it makes sense because tech is so heavily male-dominated. Just on that,
1: I mean, I don't know what condoms were like in the 50s, but I bet it was like putting a massive sock on. Uh, the, my point being that men make tech for men, and that is, that is true. What Hannah and uh, Dr. Hannah and you were saying is true, and predominantly has been true for the last 20, 30 years. Now that we're seeing more women in tech, and we need to keep seeing more women in tech... Rest assured, listener. It seems as though femtech is going to grow and grow and grow. Well,
0: I, I know it's not necessarily health related, but the whole attitude towards uh, products for women mm. in technology. Did you did you see the reports this week where um, a, a sex toy, which was certainly aimed at women, yeah, uh, was up for an award initially at CES, which has been going on it's this, this week. week, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it got pulled for an awards. Why? Um, well, I, I'm not sure what the explanation was, but obviously a lot of people said, well, that's sexist.
1: It definitely is. You might be
0: prudish, it might be a sex toy, but just because it's a female sex toy and you might be prudish men doesn't mean that you should pull it. That, that's a sexist thing to do.
1: Very. I mean, um, uh, any kind of tech gets me excited and that one probably would... Sorry, no. I'll let's stop.
0: move on. Um... <laughs> God. Uh, well, the,
1: the Alex Turner line from one of his songs on the new album was Technological advances really bloody get me in the mood. How sexy is that?
0: Lovely. Uh, getting back to, to Rwanda, though.
1: Um, <laughs> How natural! How natural a segment segue <laughs> into, you know, sex toys back to Rwanda. Well, I'm just
0: ignoring the last five minutes. Please do. Um, so, so, Babylon have got 2.7 users uh, nope. worldwide. Not 2.7 million 2.7, <laughs> 2.7 million <users> <laughs> I
1: would be that .7 because I'm not quite tall enough to be. Fort, 40% of
0: the male population um, in Rwanda.
1: Yeah, and the, the 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 massive point there being there's a population of 10 to 12 million people, only 800 eight, doctors, 800 yeah.
0: 800 doctors. And, and the fact that that, that amazing story the where mom, she's oh. talking about the mum who's having to walk six hours. I oh, think she said six hours, but I got Re- the impression it's one way. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, six, 12 so it's a 12-hour round. round trip to access to, to medicine. We often... You know what that made me think of? It Maybe It reminded me of Dark Trace. Right. Which might be like, hang on, how does that relate? Yeah. But we often think about AI. Yep. And we think about... Um, what, what the positive benefits are. If there are only 800 doctors, there aren't enough doctors to see all the people in Rwanda, mm-hmm. right? In the same way that um, Darktrace were making the point that there are, there are, if there are 600,000 security vacancies out there, there aren't the security professionals to fill them. We're not going to magic the number of doctors that yeah. Rwanda needs, yeah. but having an app with intelligence that can educate mm. and talk to people Actually plugs that gap. Yeah. It's not like AIs are coming into Rwanda and displacing doctors. Those 800 doctors are very much needed, but AI plugs a gap uh, where it can give real-time advice to people without having to wait around, and and obviously stops some of those fairly antiquated practices like um, the the homeopathic solutions that can lead to sepsis. I
1: mean, it's crazy. I mean, Dr. Hannah articulates better than most, you know, how AI will augment, not replace, how AI will create more jobs than it takes away. We're talking about Rwanda. We're talking about only 800 doctors existing in a 12 million people population. This is where tech is truly for good. And look, Dave, look at the amount of exclamation marks I have after that capitalised There are
0: lots. There's eight, seven? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Truly for good. Um... And the fact that tech is the intermediary here, it's you know, it's the middleman between them potentially living and dying. Mm.
0: Babylon have obviously been wildly successful. Also really positive though to hear her make the point that they need to work with regulators.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There is
0: that um line there isn't there between yeah. the fact that they're a business yep. and there's you know that line between public and private data and making sure that they make the best use of it but at the same time that um they're doing good for society i, I thought that it was really positive that dr han talks about the fact that they need to work with regulators it's a really
1: positive message just on the on the data point she makes and she you know she talks of ethicalness ethicalness what is wrong with me ethics 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 ethicality. Ethical carry on she talks about ethics <laughs> and, and, you know, responsibility with data, which, you know, in 2018 especially was put in the bin mm. uh, with Facebook, Cambridge Analytica, et cetera. Now, with their data, surely... I mean, I know it could be probably sold in a nasty way to target people, but surely how they package data is always going to be for the good and the benefit of their user, right? Whether they farm that out... They're not going to be farming out to Facebook that data, are they? But, you know, that that data package... Is, is a good data package to have because it could save your life. It's almost like a ha- walking around with a, a chart on your back that says, hi, I've got diabetes or something like that, right? However which way they package yeah, but it. Yeah,
0: they, but they have a lot of personal data
1: that could be used. But my my, my point being that we've heard Dr. I, I don't think, yeah,
0: data is like it's neither inherently good nor bad. I suppose it's how how it's used. How it's by, yeah, how it's yeah.
1: manipulated at the other end. And I, I I trust that Babylon would not be misusing anyone's data. No, absolutely not. Made that absolutely abundantly not. clear. But yeah.
0: it's it's making sure that at the same time they look after it responsibly. Yeah. That it's secure. Yeah. That it's not. They're not going to have a leak or or a
1: hack of of a great. You know. Yeah. There you go.
0: Um, found it really interesting at the end that she talked about the fact that first and foremost she'll always be a doctor mm. but she's a doctor with a creative flair and it's again this interesting thing where here's someone from outside of the technology industry initially yep. looking at tech as a creative outlet
1: yeah i mean she only talks about tech in a positive way and she saw that when she was at the nhs like how can we start utilizing tech it's
0: but we we've, we've often talked about the fact that the technology needs creative uh that, that kind of T-shaped model, yes. someone who can kinda of come in, bring some extra perspective and apply technology to be to, to, to solutions in a in an imaginative way. That's and I why, love that she without any prompt made that link between technology and creativity.
1: That's why it's steam not STEM, Dave. I know. That's I, why it's I, steam I not, not like, STEM. I
0: thought you'd like that point. Exactly. Before we go to our advert break, um just to remind you that we do have an event on the 31st of January. Mm. Dr. Hannah is part of that event. Um, yeah. We think she's fantastic. We think you should come along and have a listen to what she has to say. Babylon Health are obviously a fantastic organization too. Um, so yeah, please, please come. It's on Meetup. Uh, the Meetup link will be shared along with this podcast in the show notes. It's also on our website. So if you go to the website and click on events, um, so that's tech. Uh, hyphen talks.co.uk you can get all the information there so far we've got 67 attendees nice. hundred, so you know actually there's space but it might not be the case in, in a few days So I'm just selling it as a look come,
1: come. if you want to come watch Dave and I try and keep up with true tech experts which for our listeners should be hilarious it's well worth an hour of your time
0: absolutely um, anyway we'll go to our advert break stay tuned though part 2 we've got some articles so, Jack, are you getting over the January blues? Have you got New Year's resolutions?
1: Uh, no to both.
0: Well, two books that might be able to help you come up with some some targets for the new year. Yeah. The Art of Life Admin by Elizabeth Emmons. Okay. Available on Audible. That's a new
1: release. That's new.
0: And The World's Fittest Book by Ross Edgeley. Uh, the cover of which will shame you into the gym. It's a very thin, really? man.
1: Ah, uh, they might have used an old stock photo of me for that then. I don't think so. No. He's about
0: three jacks wide.
1: Wow. Yeah,
0: but are new releases on Audible that might help you ease into the new year in a positive frame of mind. I'll give them a go. Welcome to part two of Tech Talks. Who's going first?
1: Well, I've got my article in front of me. Have you got yours? Yeah. Go on, you go first.
0: All right. So I've got an article from The Next Web. Sharing your children's bad behaviour on social media is making it worse.
1: This is so close to my article. Really, Dave? We are just <laughs> telekinetic these days, mate. Just Go so on.
0: people, just so people are, are aware, listening to the show, we basically don't tell each other about these yeah. in advance because we want to get each other's just reaction. Yeah. Uh, so, so good. <laughs> way, right? Yeah, I was fairly horrified to find that um, where there have been where there's been uh, situations of bad behaviour, parents are taking to social media to publicly shame their children. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I know. So um there was a video What that like
1: that when you'd get you'd have a dog that has eaten all the food and done a poo on the carpet and then you'd put a sign round his face saying I ate all the food and did a poo on the carpet and then they upload that photo like that.
0: Yeah, but I don't think the dog's gonna really worry about the fact that it's on social media. Um so, Maybe uh Matt Cox knew when he criticized Sorry, Matt Cox knew he would be criticised when he forced his 10-year-old daughter to walk five miles to school in 36-degree weather as a punishment for being suspended from school twice for bullying. Posted it on Facebook. Got 15 million views. Jesus. Uh, Other examples that the article goes to talk about. um, (laughs) A New Jersey mother dressed as a clown and visited her her son's classroom to shame him for acting up in class.
1: I've seen a video of a young African-American boy in the barbers and the dad makes the barber give him an old man's haircut whereby the top is bold and then he just has the hair around the side and over the ears. Similar to that.
0: No, I get I get where the parents are coming from. They're basically kind of thinking, right, if we shame them, they're going to realise the consequences and they're not going to do it again. But but the article points out that...
1: that um, but going viral with it is
0: scary. Well, basically, psychiatrists um, have pointed out, so research published by the Journal of American um academy of psychiatry and law concludes that suffering from severe humiliation has been shown empirically to plunge individuals into yeah. major depression suicidal states and severe anxiety states parents are rightly concerned about how and when to punish uh, and discipline their children social media platforms can provide helpful opportunities to share parenting advice fine yeah okay um <laughs> but yeah um, i
1: mean there's there's two parts to this because i like I like the story about the dad punishing it's, it's his daughter. Cyber for cyberbullying. Yeah, no, but it's, 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 it's worse than the act that their child has performed. Like, you should definitely punish your child if they've bullied someone. I don't necessarily agree that he made a walk five miles in 36 degree heat and then put it on YouTube, but there is an element that you always have to be cruel to be kind. So, right? when, I was a,
0: when I was a little boy, I remember that the biggest single threat my mum had was, I will take down your pants and smack your bottom in public. Do you know how many times I remember that happening?
1: Go on. Zero. The, the threat of it was the enough. The threat was yeah. enough. Yeah.
0: I don't think my mum ever actually needed to do it.
1: No. Okay.
0: I got I got the odd smack. Yeah. But that was the next level punishment. I will do this to you in in public in front of people. Yeah. But never did it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and yeah.
0: this is this is odd. Like, this is, it's almost like you know, we're the first digitally native generate, or maybe we're not. You might
1: be. I'm. I'm yeah. on the no, we're millennials. Yeah, well, oldest millennial. Yeah, millennial. You're yeah, fine. You're safe. Haven't used that for a while. <laughs> uh, but
0: we've grown up. You know, I went to university. Yeah. Facebook was at university. So yeah. essentially, yeah. my entire adult life, social media has been available. Mm. Um, and we live out our lives through social. Mm-hmm. So I suppose mm-hmm. it, it stands to reason that young parents, and, and I'm thirty. 34 so there's a hell of a lot of parents who are younger than I am yeah um who who've lived out their lives with social would utilize social in their parenting techniques but it would appear to be with potentially terrible consequences for their children
1: I would never want to humiliate my own child to that extent you know I wouldn't want 20 million people seeing me being an overly harsh parent or anything like that I think if you're going to punish your child you need to do that in privacy you know and also, you stick it on Instagram, you stick it on yeah. Facebook,
0: right? Something embarrassing happens in your child, in mine or yours, childhood. It's in our memory, yeah. but it's gone. Yeah, there's a digital record of this. Forever. Ten years
1: time, when they go for a job interview, what if that if that video were to come up again? You know, I don't know. I think it's I think it's over the top. I think it's really really harsh. I mean, sometimes children need to be punished. I don't agree with you know hitting a child or banning a child from so on and so forth. But I'm not a parent. I don't understand what it means. No, and we're both talking
0: from a position, you know, a rarefied position of being two people who don't have children. So I suppose I'd love to know from anyone listening to the show, get in touch with us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, tweet us or or get in touch on LinkedIn. If you're you're listening to this segment of the show and have an opinion Mm. on social media being used to
1: discipline children, what is it? I mean, we're... We're both of the opinion that we don't agree with social media as a tool to punish children.
0: Not as a tool to punish children, no.
1: But if you were to take their social... Unless it's
0: taking it away.
1: Well, that's my point. If you were to take social media away from the child, that would probably have much bigger impact on them. Well, unless 20 million people see them being scolded by their parents. I don't know.
0: No, I think public public shaming is just a terrible idea. Anyway, I thought that was interesting.
1: So. What's your article? It it ties really nicely into this uh, because... What could get a child into trouble is the fact that they're ignoring their parents' texts. Oh,
0: yeah. So,
1: um, I found an article from news.com.au. Dad creates app that locks your child's phone until they answer your text. <laughs> so, um, uh, let me just read the article. It's not very big at all here. Um, you just need to know if soccer finished on time, but she's not responding. The phone was supposed to just be for emergencies, but in what seems like days, you find yourself prying it from your child's sleeping hands. So how is it that our kids are constantly plugged in, but it's impossible for them to actually reply to a text asking them when they need picking up? So this dad, uh, an American father, created the app called Reply ASAP that gives parents much-needed power to freeze their kids' phones when they don't respond to text messages. Simple as that, really. Um, which I think is a good idea.
0: How, how does that... Because surely the child could uninstall the app.
1: Well, I don't think if you're under the age of 16 you're allowed to have...
0: Oh, you've got to have account. a parent a, yeah. authorised yeah. account.
1: Yeah, so I think that, I mean that's how my younger sister does it. She does it on my dad's cloud account or whatever it is. It's
0: fairly awful if you still had it on your phone age kind of thirty or something. Be like, oh, look, will can't. you just let me live my life? Leave Go me alone away.
1: now, mum. Now my
0: only th- my, I think my mother in law like calls or texts Haley like ten or twelve times a day, but yes. like a bloody nightmare. Uh
1: anyway. My my <laughs> only point on this is um, and I, I the article's not big enough, because I think this is a really good idea. I think, you know, because I know many times when I was younger, I'd ignore my... T- and we're talking in Nokia days. My parents would freak out if I didn't text back immediately. But my problem is, what if a child's kidnapped?
0: I don't know if I necessarily agree with that to a certain extent, because I think parents... you've got you've got, to, you've got to allow your children, certainly at the age of 15 and 16, yeah, yeah, yeah. right, to have enough rope to hang themselves on to make their own mistakes. And if you constantly
1: bad analogy. Enough rope to hang themselves <laughs> okay.
0: on. <laughs> okay, awful analogy. But like my mum and dad were always very keen to basically go, right, you can do what you want to within these boundaries. And yes. the boundaries were fairly wide. Yes. And as soon as I went outside of those boundaries that were pretty reasonable. Yeah. Then everything got bad. Yeah. But they gave me a hell of a lot of freedom. Okay. And I think that this is too heavy handed.
1: I uh, my 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 biggest concern, I mean I think it's a good idea, especially um maybe maybe thirteen years and younger. Or maybe at that age between like I mean I don't know what kids what age kids are learning to use iPhones, at, I'd probably guess about three or four. Um, but, well, th- th- quick point then. Go on. Uh my three no four-month-year-old nephew Shut up, he's not already on us. A- no, 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 no,
0: <laughs> no, but you can see that already recognizes really what a phone screen is so you take a photo with a phone and immediately tracking where you are looking yeah and recognizes that that is wow now obviously very early but yeah. yeah but it's but it's funny isn't it even from a few months old screens are there and you're aware
1: it's the, the lights very... isn't it yeah. that they love and um no my, my, my biggest issue here is because i think the idea is born out of something good and something quite um quite safeguarding but my point is, if a child is kidnapped yep. and the kidnapper takes their phone, you then lock that phone so that, say, if the child did manage to get hold of it and call someone, they fucking can't. It's locked. <laughs> it's actually counterproductive in that point. Hey, Dad. Just Please about. unlock. Yeah. Uh, kidnaps have me. Exactly. And then it's too late by that point. But I just think that's... It would have
0: added a whole layer to the Zoe Bartlett being abducted in the West Wing plotline.
1: Yeah, I mean, I never watched the West Wing, for uh, sure. You're missing out. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> A bit before my time, but no, I just think I think it's I like we always like a product coming out of an idea that is passion-led, and this dad just had enough of his kids ignoring him. There's purpose there, exactly. He just wanted a couple of extra retweets from his daughter.
0: So um I think that brings us to the end of the show. Yeah, um, we hope that uh, the start of your week is 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 going lovely and swimmingly and well. We are now into the midst of January. Uh, But keep smiling, folks. It'll be fed before you know it.
1: Yeah, payday before you know it.
0: Um, (laughs) And we'll talk to you soon. Uh Bye-bye.